This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. It's just an amazing feeling, you know. I uh, blood, sweat, and tears to get back to this point. Um, everybody, my, my team in here, everybody on the floor, believe in me, believe in me to get back to myself, and uh, you know, we proved a lot of doubters wrong. And I mean, look at this. I appreciate it. Kitchener, Ontario's pride. Yeah. The NHL yeah. Stanley Cup up for debate tonight yeah. uh, as it stands, by the way, for at least a couple more hours. Stanley Cup and the Larry O'Brien Trophy's home is in Denver. Yeah, yes. Uh, I, I suppose in, in that sense, you're Just a right. little bit. Take it while and, you can get and, it. And, you know, I, I don't think we've experienced this. Uh, Maybe Florida I, I wins mean, one and we get it for a couple more, the you know, avalanche, more hours. The Avalanche <laughs> won in June of 96. But it was almost two years before the Broncos won the Super Bowl. Right. More than a year and a half. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. So have we had from June to June, from one year to the next, June of 22 to June of 23, two championship seasons back to back? I mean, you're I professional. So. If you're not major counting, professional. Yeah, major yeah, major professional. professional. We're not counting I, the Mammoth I, I, or the Rapids I, with all due respect I, to the other cronky teams that win titles. But yes, and, and and you know we've had it, and I, I say major professional because DU certainly did it right. with back-to-back national championships hockey in hockey and lacrosse, four and 05 and lacrosse did it. Uh, yeah, uh, so it, 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 this is unprecedented. No, you're talking about ninety the ninety five ninety six season for the Avs. Uh, you're talking about ninety seven season for the well, Broncos. ninety seven yeah, and ninety eight. There was a the separation Broncos. of more than a year, right? But I mean, to, it, it, and then the it, the one Stanley Cup. Yeah. The the one Stanley Cup twenty fifteen then the gap to the twenty fifteen well, Broncos yeah, yeah that, that's right then yeah. last year's Avalanche this year's Nuggets that's it. it's the closest back it, it literally back to back right and for Stan and Josh Kroenke a, a glorious occasion and I know they've left more of the hockey operation over to others uh, including Joe Sackett seems and, to be uh, working out McFarland okay and uh, that's and, and and Bednar and that's worked out uh, beautifully uh, but. I'll tell you what, uh, George Carl made this point today on our Truth and Basketball podcast. The construct of the teams is similar in that you have um, maybe with the Avalanche last year, uh, probably not this year, the same two guys, but last year you had McKinnon and McCarr, right? Right. And the Nuggets have Jokic and Murray. But it was the Arturi, Lekkanen, Bruce Brown types who often made the big play. Or the Aaron Gordon slash Gabriel Landis Goggs. Yeah. Right. Who, who, who made the big plays or had the great games that catapulted their respective teams to, to championship levels. And. It's something that the Miami Heat, I think, epitomized as an opponent more than any of the other opponents the Nuggets faced in the playoffs. And it was there last night, and frankly, I was happy to see it. Uh, Lowry, at age 38, played 34 minutes, 12 points, 9 rebounds, 4 assists, 2 steals, 1 block, and only 1 turnover in 34 minutes. He was a plus 5. 
And Caleb Martin, uh, who especially early on in this series had a rough go of it, was about as effective a player as there was on the floor last night in a plus-minus sense. He was plus 13 in 32 minutes, 10 points, five rebounds, one assist, one steal, one block, a couple of turnovers in 32 minutes, plus 13. And uh, Struess and Vincent, who had all but gone scoreless earlier in the series in the same game, had 18 between them but, last night, yeah, Struess and Struess was, was not afraid, and Struess had 12 yeah. points with eight rebounds, an assist, and a block, very and only one turnover, on. and he was a plus player in 32 minutes. He was the only Miami starter who was a plus player last night, and I, I think enormous credit goes to the Miami Heat, mm-hmm. who, because they took care of the basketball, only eight turnovers, got off 96 shots last night from the field to only 84 uh, for the Nuggets, Sandy, give the heat, give the heat. And this. at the foul line, they made more free throws because the Nuggets missed ten. It is eight out of twenty-three noting. to fourteen out of sixty. And, and and if you didn't get a chance to see it, if you missed it, and all the the hullabaloo again, if you you know more of the plaudits for Nikola Jokic uh, as if he was a, a little eager. The final buzzer came and went, and before Nikola Jokic celebrated with his teammates, exactly, he went. I noticed he the went same and thing. grabbed every single player Every on the heat, one. including a guy he had to grab at the very tail of the bench that doesn't, yeah. that doesn't play, yeah. and give him a, a hug and a pat and congratulate it him was, on the series. It was as great an act of sportsmanship as I've and, seen yes, in Before many he celebrated with his own teammates, right. and he was that on the was floor, first he was on the other end of the floor. Consoled he had to go to the, the other loser. end of the floor and congratulate him, and they deserve it, because here's the thing with the heat. They are sort of kindred spirits to the Nuggets. In, in the manner in which they play, it is, it is a selfless style of play. It is centered around a couple of star players, but that's not how the team works. Obviously, we know about the coaching acumen of Eric Spolstra, and everyone forgets. I do not think it would have made a difference in this series in the end result. They were playing without Tyler Hero, a 20-point-per-game score, and Victor Oladipo, yeah. a Bruce Brown-like Swiss Army knife-type player, went healthy. Yeah. Two of their, in fact, I would argue... With all due respect to Caleb Martin, who only emerged because of these injuries, they were missing their third and fourth best players during this entire playoff run, uh, and I, they got I, that far. I would say uh, Oladipo definitely, uh, and when it comes to scoring, hard to take Harrell twenty points be a better game. than third. Hard to take twenty best. points a game uh, off of twenty any points team. a game, and I know he doesn't play any defense. No, he does not. But, but twenty points, is 20, uh, points. twenty points a game is valuable, especially to a team like the Heat that for times during the game last night, could not score. And I I, I was telling the, uh, I affectionately call them the nervous Nellies on the, uh, the stream of texts I was uh, getting, they can't score. And the psychological impact on not being able to score, Rick when, when Perea will down, tell you this, George Carl will tell you this, oh boy. The, the psychological impact of not being able to score is immense and it's even more powerful than it would be on your defensive end when you can't stop the other team your your whole basketball life you've been taught even players who don't have a scoring role in the major professional ranks have been taught to be first and foremost wins and losses are decided by points on the scoreboard the ball in the basket. That's the way it goes. Score more points than the other guy. And when you can't score, 
it, it, and this is true in all sports. It's true in hockey. It's, it's true in football. It is certainly true in baseball. You become tense in every other area of the game when you can't hit, when you can't score offensively in football. The Broncos last year, an example of this, it infects the whole team when you aren't able to score. And you know you have a good defense. It's even more exasperating. Last night, a team that was literally average during the course of the regular season in defensive rating, 15th in a 30-team league, became not just a top-10 defensive team, not just a top-5 defensive team, but in overcoming the worst, most, worst, most inefficient playoff performance of any team in the playoffs this year, their defense had to be the best defense. Not top five, not top ten. It had to be the best defense. And for at least last night, when they had to have defense as their calling card, they produced as great a defensive performance in a game of consequence that I've ever seen the Denver Nuggets play. And uh, we talked on our podcast this morning uh, with George, uh, Truth and Basketball, with Ralph Simpson and Alex English, two pretty fair offensive players, players in Nugget Alex history. Alex English led the entire 1980s right. in scoring in the NBA. No more Not for offense. And they remarked in the same way, as did George, if anything, I'll use Jokic again as an example, They all of these people remarked on defense. They also made the point uh, that, in the last two games put together, Nikola Jokic was better on defense than he was he on offense. He most certainly was. And and we talk about the stress when teams can't score. And at, at times you see that Michael Porter Jr. carries it. But the guy that has the biggest challenge with that at times is the person we heard at the beginning of the segment, Jamal Murray, who when the Nuggets are not scoring has a tendency to try to lift the team out of it himself. Early in the game that happened. Obviously it settled down and, and Murray ends up as a champ. But, I mean, let's let's take a moment to look at that. Jamal Murray played 48 games in the 2020-21 season, had the torn ACL injury, played 65 games in this season, of course missed the entire prior season prior to this. In those last two years, or at least parts of last two years, those last two seasons, one of 48 games, one of 65 games with the injury in between, those are the best two years of his career basically across the board in virtually every way. In the playoffs, and it's it's a rough. I don't. I'm not going to give you the exact ones because it doesn't matter. But in the playoffs over this man's career, and in the last two years, he has averaged roughly 20 and a half points, four rebounds, and roughly five assists per game in the regular season. Here's what happens when Jamal Murray hits the playoffs over the course of his career: his scoring goes up over. And this is, by the way, this is career playoffs. I'm not even doing career scoring. I'm doing the last two seasons, the best of his career. Scoring goes up 25%, rebounds go up 20%, and assists go up 50% from his career numbers. That is remarkable. And given the fact that he came off such a devastating injury that was difficult not only physically but emotionally and mentally for Murray, in which one of the things that you and I had pointed out, the Nuggets didn't necessarily assist with that at times. Watching Murray's game consistently raise in these playoffs has been so gratifying. And you talked about it during the break. The 
fondness that Murray and Jokic have for each other, the understanding and the synergy they have on the court, is so obvious that I agree, I agree with you. You said in the break, Sandy, that you thought if that nobody would have been happier for than Nikola Jokic if Jamal Murray would have somehow been named Finals MVP. And I, I agree with you. I think he would have been delighted. The funny thing is, I think Murray was equally delighted it was Jokic. Oh, of course. That's, that's of what these guys are. I mean, this is this is a, a pair of guys, both international players, one from Canada, one from Serbia. The ones played together as teenagers long before they got into the NBA and, and ended up meeting this way and as, as effective in NBA Finals history, as effective a two-man game as anybody, and look at the names that they were surpassing. Stockton and Malone, Drexler and Olajuwon, Magic Johnson and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Scottie Pippen and Michael Jordan. Look, if that's the pairing you're in, all of those guys aren't just Hall of Famers. They have wings in the Hall of Fame. And I don't know if that ends, that, that will be the case for Jokic. I don't know if it will be the case for Murray, but I know that Without Murray's contributions, which have been in the finals, as good as anybody's has been. We're talking about a guy that in the career standings of his playoffs, 25 points per game, 6.3 assists, 5 rebounds per game on 47.3 per shooting, including better than 40% from three. And that's by shooting 90 plus percent from the stripe. Yeah. Jamal well, Murray, playoff Jamal, folks, is real and he's spectacular. Nugget fans of a certain age still have nightmares about game six of the ABA finals when the Nuggets had a 23-point lead late in the third quarter. Uh, they were behind three games to two in the series, but at that point it looked for all the world like the series had come back to Denver and the Nets had already won one game here in Denver and, and the Nuggets had rallied to survive in game five after being down by 16 in the first half. And it looked like they were sailing into game seven and they'd have their championship in the final series ever played in the American Basketball Association. Uh, they lost the lead. And yes, Julia Serving was terrific as the Nets came back. But the leader of the comeback was a guard by the name of John Williamson. And we were talking about that on our podcast today with Ralph Simpson in particular because Ralph Simpson played in that game and started in that game for the Denver Nuggets. And Ralph Simpson well remembered uh, the man known as Super John uh, by uh, Nets fans, ABA fans, because he had the capacity to uh, play with a fury and an explosiveness uh, over a relatively short period of time that few could duplicate. And he took over that game from the likes of Julius Irving and David Thompson. He was the man in the fourth quarter of that game. And I remember saying during the podcast, he was a cross between Oscar Robertson, Jerry West, and maybe throwing Kobe Bryant. I, I, I won't put Jordan in there because Jordan is yeah, on another seems okay. level. Okay, yeah. but those three are okay, right? The Frankenstein right? monster of a player would be pretty solid, I think, yeah. Okay, what John Williamson was That's to that final fourth quarter, that final quarter in the history of the American Basketball Association, Jamal Murray was to the 2023 NBA playoffs. 
and to reach those heights and to stay there. And again, last night was probably his worst game of the playoffs. And he still had 14, 8, and 8 with a steal and was plus 12 and, and 41 minutes. The threat so, was always there. Exactly. Exactly. And there were big plays and big shots that Jamal Murray made even last night on an off night. And his defense on Butler, whether Butler's aggressiveness was taken away by Gordon earlier in the game or earlier in the series, and he was tired and he was hurt, although he didn't acknowledge any injury after the series ended, uh, whatever, Jamal Murray, over the course of an entire playoff run, was all the things that a terrific player named John Williamson was in one quarter, the final quarter ever played in the history of the American Basketball Association. <laughs> Topped and off the Denver just Nuggets. Unbelievable. Unbelievable that someone could sustain that. And I know I, among many others, have made reference in the past to the fact that Jamal Murray has never been an all-star. But which would you rather have? a perennial all-star or an all-time NBA playoff, playoff great? No question. no question. Which would you rather have? Well, Charles Barkley has a lot of all-star appearances. He doesn't have a ring. You could probably ask him. I bet he'll tell you which one you'd rather have. Jamal Murray has oh, a and, ring. And Charles was plenty good in the playoffs, too. Playoffs. It wasn't like Charles disappeared during no, the not at all. playoffs. However, Jamal Murray has something that puts him right there with Jerry West. One championship, company. and he may be in line for a few more. And I'm talking about West as a player, of course. West as an executive was involved in many, many championships, even with some of the Golden State championship teams uh, from this past decade. Well, Jamal Murray's a long way from that. We like him as a player right now. We'll see how that goes. The changes from Michael Malone, the way that he evolved and adapted as a coach, included, quite frankly, some increased humility, and visibly so. A great quote with Sirius XM after the game. We'll want to share it with you next on Miley Sport. Yeah, yeah. I'm drinking out the bottle. Hanging with supermodels. Feel like I hit the lotto. I don't know about you, but I feel good. Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. After the Nuggets won their first NBA title, Michael Malone had an opportunity to talk to the folks at Sirius XM. And we've seen again we've talked a bit today and we've talked about it over the course of the weeks of michael malone's evolution as a coach and it continued to really accelerate almost in every round continued to accelerate uh, at multiple times in the playoffs you saw nicole Jokic timeouts with the whiteboard in hand uh drawing things up and there are not a there are not a lot of coaches who are comfortable enough in their own skin to allow that and you know why that is a quick story on this because uh over the last eh, almost 50 years, they started putting cameras into huddles. Right. And I remember how coaches, when it first, first started, they, hey, despised hey. it. Oh, And hey. they don't like it a whole hell of a lot more today, to be honest with you. But the NBA was trying to gain traction with a national television audience, and they thought giving people an inside look at a huddle, and they, of course it was all uh, recorded, so they'd cut out the strategy parts. and the, But 
in the 1975 playoffs, the then Washington Bullets had a head coach named Casey Jones, great former player on the Boston Celtic championship teams of the 1960s. His assistant was a fellow some of you may have heard of in these parts, Bernie Bickerstaff. And CBS, the network carrying the NBA at the time, went into their huddle at one point. And God forbid Bernie Bickerstaff had the whiteboard and was diagramming things. And the reaction, almost the universal reaction was, Casey Jones is a figurehead. He's not a real coach. Bernie Bickerstaff's the real coach of that team. Look at look at that timeout. Bernie Bickerstaff was giving out the instructions. He had the whiteboard. Casey Jones was a spectator. Casey Jones' bullets lost the finals that year to Rick Berry's Golden State Warriors in four straight games. But nine years later, there was Casey Jones out coaching Pat Riley in the NBA Finals for the Boston Celtics. And he had a guy named Larry Bird. And Casey Jones often let Larry Bird run the huddles. One of the, I, I'm not saying Casey Jones was an all-time great coach. What I am saying is a more secure man, professionally speaking, you will never find in your life than Casey Jones after being just lambasted for allowing an assistant coach to take the whiteboard with Boston and Larry Bird, he let Larry Bird do what Larry Bird could do. Well, exercise influence over the team. Give Michael Malone credit. And it's such a complicated situation with Malone at times because uh, is he, is he Casey Jones? No. Is he Steve Kerr? No. Is he Greg Popovich? No. Is he even Eric Spolstra? Not yet. Certainly not Red Auerbach or anything like that. He may he may never even reach those levels. But he is something that most coaches are not, and that is an NBA champion. And following the game, talking to SiriusXM about Nikola Jokic, uh, it's, of course, easy to say in a win, but I also think there is more than a bit of truth that you can hear. Uh, maybe it's a little in vino veritas after the uh, celebration to a bit because they didn't get him right off the vet, but uh, his story about Nikola Jokic, I think, is, is notes here are telling. Nikola Jokic embodies our culture. Work, selfless, trust. He's done that from day one. Eight years together, what a journey. And uh, the exciting thing for me is we're not done. Right. You know, we, we think we have a few years left with this group where we can do a lot of special things. And uh, very thankful that Nikola is a big part of this team. And he makes me look like a good coach, man, which is, <laughs> which is, which is always appreciated. He makes it, you are a great coach. Well, coach. I appreciate Congratulations. Work, guys. Thank you. Makes it easy for me. And it does. And look, great players always do make it easier, obviously. And that doesn't seem to take anything away from a Popovich or a Phil Jackson or anything. who's had great players when they won titles, of course. But it, it is it is heartening, I think, to see that Malone has not, not only said this, but fully embraced it to the point where it's, it's visible, as you said. It may not have been that big a deal to have a player off the whiteboard, but since... Of course, now it's sort of like, oh, wow, because, uh, you know, you used to, this is the opportunity, for, this is their coach's 15 minutes of fame right here, right? This is the coaches showing manly coaching things, right? That's that's the whole thing. 
And, and so Malone, who at times earlier in this series definitely sort of seemed to be enjoying a lot of the attention, as the series went along, he even receded if it was only, into even the if background it was only a little five, more. Even though it was only yeah. five games long, he, he receded. Yeah. And, he and give him credit for that because, I, you know what, I everybody knows who the coach credit. is. I give him enormous credit for that. Uh, there's sometimes, and uh, I took note yesterday that even his high school uh, basketball coach, who loves Michael Malone and couldn't even watch during the playoffs, although there wasn't ever that much that was in doubt regarding the Nuggets along the way, he had trouble watching because he was rooting so hard for the Nuggets to win, and he'd wake up the next morning and watch the game when he knew the outcome so he wouldn't get so nervous. Loves Michael Malone. And acknowledged that even in coaching Michael Malone, there were points at which Michael Malone could be very stubborn and aggravating. And I thought it was an honest observation, and it brings me to what Nikola Jokic said about his relationship, special relationship, as it was characterized in the question, on NBA TV last night. And he answered, as he often does, with... Uh, simplicity and yet wisdom and saying it's honest and he said I know I'm not always right and I know I'm not always wrong he might have said the reverse uh, but in any case I'm not always right that that sounds more like Jokic and I think that's the way he said it I'm not always right not always wrong but I'm always honest and it's reciprocal. And I asked Alex English today, although we're talking about different personalities, about how he came to understand and accept Doug Moe's coaching much as Doug Moe understood the value of Alex English and how to get the most out of Alex. And I likened that to the Jokic-Malone relationship. And... uh Alex gave me uh, an answer that we may hear later this week. Uh, but what he said essentially was that apart from assuming that probably Malone doesn't curse out Jokic as often as Doug might curse <laughs> out Alex, which actually didn't happen all that often, to be perfectly honest about it, uh, Doug did deal with players in different ways. But he he said, yes, there, there are similarities. And he made the same point that uh, we tried to make yesterday, and, of course, with Alex, it was made much more elegantly, that it's not just the coach understanding the player. It's the player. Right understanding and accepting it, it, the coach it's, it needs to for be symbiotic. all his quirks and even his flaws. The player has to accept the coach at least as much as the coach in the modern NBA has to accept and understand the strengths and weaknesses of the player. It's symbiotic. And when it works, championships can come out of it. I think of Greg Popovich and Tim Duncan. And Craig Bobovich could be very, very tough on Tim Duncan. But he allowed Tim Duncan to exercise his brand of leadership as only Tim Duncan could. And so what comes out of that, we talk about 
MVP players in the NBA Finals. You now have Jokic joining the group alongside Tim Duncan, Akeem Olajuwon, Tony Parker, Dirk Nowitzki, and Giannis Antetokounmpo. But Duncan and Jokic are two of those players who have, in maybe slightly different ways, been empowered by their head coaches, Duncan by Popovich back in the day, and now Malone uh, empowering Jokic, even to the point where Jokic is allowed to kind of coach and organize and occasionally even motivate, as he did during right. one and you're uh, smart to do it in the second half. When last you night, have special players like that, you're wise to do it. It's the why would you not take advantage of that kind of ability that's at your disposal that you know you're pulling on the same end of the rope. You want the same thing. So who cares how you get across the finish line? The point is you all get across the finish line together or not at all. So who cares how you do it? But a lot of coaches don't have the ability to put the ego aside and do it. And give Malone credit for doing exactly that. And you can nitpick with a lot of things and we have. But that's not one of them. And it's one of the reasons that the Nuggets are the NBA champions. And I I, I do think, uh, you know, that in the league right now, it has to be a partnership. It can't be dictator and peasant (laughs) anymore. Now, maybe in the 50s and 60s, it could be more like that. But it began to change with Bill Russell having an authentic partnership with Red Auerbach. And on the opposite end of the spectrum, Wilt Chamberlain, with the exception of uh, the great Alex Hannum, disliking virtually every coach he ever played for because the coach would try to handle Wilt in a kind of dictatorial way. Neither of those guys were in the free agency area either. Players have more power than they ever have. It's even more important than it's ever been. We have an opportunity to talk about the Denver Nuggets championship with the one and only George Carl. We will do that next on My Life Sports. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. We will be joined in just a couple of minutes by George Carl. And uh, Sandy, we're talking about some of these coaching records. Only 35 coaches in the history of the NBA have championships. Right. Michael Malone is one of them. Only 60 coaches Fewer have than appeared. three dozen. Right. Only uh, 60 coaches have ever had more than 50 playoff appearances. Yes. Michael Malone is one of them. Yes, he is. And uh, when you're talking about coaches involved with championships that have better than 500 records, you'd assume, well, that's probably most of them. Here's the thing. It it really isn't. Lenny Wilkins doesn't. Rick Carlisle doesn't. Dick Mata doesn't. Jack Ramsey doesn't. No, and, and most of those guys, all those guys that you just mentioned, I believe, won championships. These are all championship winners. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, those guys don't have even have winning records. Amazing. Michael Malone, and you're talking about Michael Malone's now winning record of 544 when you're talking about the multiple championship winners. Now, there is nobody that's won multiple championships, 
that are lower than that. Right. But that's better than Doc Rivers with one championship. Yeah. That's better than Larry Brown with one championship. Yes. And Larry only got over 500 when he won that championship. That's better than Bill Fitch. Detroit. That's better than Mike yep. Budenholzer. Fitch won a championship. I mean, you're talking, it's better than uh, Al Adels. It's better. Al Adels won a championship. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you're talking about these are all championship winners yep. that, that had over 500 records. Yeah. And Malone is ahead of them all yep. in yep. winning percentage, yep. in times, everything. So, I mean, we're talking but about none of now. those coaches had Nikola Jokic. And I, I, I will, uh, you but, know, uh, I, I'm hearing more and more good players. Um, <laughs> Uh, certainly from Kevin Durant, who called Jokic an all-time great. Right. Not after, just after the best the player in the world yeah. today, but an all-time great. Uh, One of the best to ever LeBron touch a basketball. I talking in much the same terms uh, about uh, Nikola Jokic. Uh, I'm beginning to hear more and more, though, about not only not uh, the all-time greatness, but about the possibility of still a relatively young player Nikola Jokic, if he isn't now, could become the greatest basketball player who ever lived. And he's the best basketball player I've ever seen. That comes from one Charles Barkley who said the same. He uh, spent Barkley's, his entire career battling Michael Jordan. Right. And, and uh, I, I mean, the, the admiration for Jokic only continues to grow. Joining us now is, of course, George Carr. You can find him at Coach Carr 22 on Twitter and a host of the Truth in the Basketball podcast with our own Sandy Clough, recorded, by the way, a new one today with uh, some Actually, luminaries. Uh, several new ones because we had Ralph Simpson right. with us and Alex English. So make sure you go find that, Coach. Uh, basically, this is simple. Uh, you were involved with the Denver Nuggets for a long time. You have been, uh, continued to be, you know, we, we see in the stands and everything. What does this mean? Well, I think it's a celebration of there's a good history of basketball in Denver that a lot of people don't know about, even going way back to the 40s and 50s, uh, before the NBA was formed. And then you got the ABA, and it was fun having Ralph Simpson on today because he could tell us about how they kind of blew game six in the, in the, NBA, in the ABA finals with a 20-point lead in the third quarter. And it was fun talking with him. And then comparing Alex English, we got a little conversation on who was better, Alex or Melo. And then I thought Sandy did a really good job of comparing Jokic to Alex English and how calm and non-emotional they were and how they played, which I didn't think about that much, but it's very, very true. How they led through being calm and collect. And Malone and Doug Moe would be goofy and crazy. And um, I think what it means is I think they got a window, I would think at least two to three years, and I'm thinking maybe four to five years, to win a couple more. Uh, I think there's space between them and the next best team in the NBA. I know the NBA in the summertime has this, you know, you know kind of uh, – coming to Jesus moment that they got to figure out Jokic now. But I've been trying to figure out Jokic for five years, <laughs> and I don't have the answer. So I'm not, I don't think we're going to find the answer to something, to be honest with you. I want to ask you about who and or what won the game last night, in your opinion, for the Nuggets and got them to the championship for the first time ever. Well, 
I love the game probably more than most fans out there because it was an old-school basketball game. It was like the 90s. It was bloody. It was foul. Hit, hit, hit as hard as you can until the whistle blows. And if the, if the referee's not going to blow the whistle, keep hitting. I mean, it was a very physical game. Uh, and uh, I was amazed how, how physical it got, especially in the second half. I think the number one reason they won was that no one on the floor could make a shot, and Jokic was shooting 12 for 15. Yeah. He was making everything he had. <laughs> so that's probably the one reason they won the game. I think the other reason is, is the versatility of the Denver, Denver Nuggets roster has come forward in a very positive way in the playoffs. You know, you have you have uh, Aaron Gordon winning the game. You have Bruce Brown winning the game. You have Christian uh, Brown winning a game. Uh, you have, and Porter Jr. last night plays a solid game. But I really thought the way Aaron Gordon and Caldwell Pope and Bruce Brown totally was in control of Miami's offense. They could not score. It was very difficult to score. I know a lot of people were saying Jimmy Butler was hurt, and that will probably come out here in the near future. But I, what I saw is Jimmy Butler didn't like going against Aaron Gordon. And I didn't think Anthony Davis liked going against Aaron Gordon. And I think everybody that covered in these playoffs, Aaron Gordon, is a, he annoys people at a high, high level. I thought Bruce Brown's offensive rebound was whatever, a minute to go in the game, was a big-time NBA basketball play. And I think, as I said, Porter Jr. played well. And in his own way, the rookie, Christian Brown, here's a rookie kind of giving a defensive confidence to an NBA playoff championship team. That just does not happen very often in the NBA. Coach, uh... 10.4% of every coaches, uh, everyone who's ever coached in the NBA, and obviously you've coached an awful lot, have ever won a title. Michael Malone is the 36th head coach in the history of the NBA to win a championship as a head coach. It's, it's a, a very, very hard thing to do, and I know that's something you can speak about. How does it change the way he's perceived, and how does it change the way that he coaches, if at all, when you have the confidence to know that you have been to the top of the mountain? Well, I think Michael Malone gave us very quickly after the game that he was real interested in winning another one. And I thought the fans were very supportive of that. Um, you know, I'll be honest with you. I, I don't think there are great coaches in, in basketball. I think there are a lot of good coaches that get lucky and get dealt the right hand. And they made it fit. I tip my hat to Malone because I think he's taken this roster, which what they did over the summer was perfect, I think, for everybody. And But he has made it work. He's made it fit. And then he gets into the playoffs where everybody, I think, thinks, well, they're going, there's going to be some ups and there's going to be some downs. There weren't many downs. No. I mean, no. there just wasn't many downs. I know a lot of national people are arguing that the path to the championship was very mediocre. 
who cares? He's still going to go out and get it done. And it's a very difficult, it's a very difficult journey. They did it with class. They did it with connection. And they did it with good coaching. Let me, let me give you guys a little tip with that, too, that we've seen. We heard about the seeds and all that. Of course, people now conveniently that want to knock the Nuggets forget that they were the underdogs in the Sun Series coming in, the underdogs in the Lakers Series coming in. But uh, the Nuggets faced a new record in the playoffs. And obviously, in, in this, this format, it's, you have to win 16 games. No team has ever in their playoff run faced a larger number of players with all-star appearances than the Denver Nuggets, ever. More than 80 players that they did faced in, in this whole entire series had had at least one all-star appearance. That's the most in history. And so the, the idea only had one guy who was an all-star. Yeah, the 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 history uh, uh, says a little bit different. You have to throw the seeds out and look at it a little bit different. You're talking about uh, the the players they went through were pretty phenomenal, Sandy. Oh, no, no doubt about that. And you know, it it, it, it we were talking about this on the podcast today. I, I can't remember if it was actually on the podcast or just. A, a, amid some of the other conversations we were having. But uh, Sean mentioned it earlier. The first move that Jokic made after the game was to go all the way over to the other side of the court and console or congratulate Congratulate, the losing side before he celebrated with any of his teammates. That was his first move. I don't know that I've ever seen that before from an NBA Finals MVP. Well, Sandy, I think we, what we talked on the podcast about is Jokic is a great leader. He's a humble man. He respects the game. He respects his opponents. And he respects his teammates and his coaches. And we need more people like uh, Nikola Jokic in the game of basketball. And it's kind of funny that we were talking with Alex English a little bit about leadership yeah. Calm leadership. Right. Of where the quiet leader that you know, it seems like in today some some of our superstars and our all stars want to make it loud and they want the spotlight on. That's not leadership. Good leadership is quiet and comes up and stands up when he has to. But for the rest of the time, he is just another member of the team doing his job and challenging everybody to be a better player. Now that, that they've gone there, and, and obviously it's going to be a, an offseason that's pretty momentous, but the Denver Nuggets do have a roster that is more or less cemented. I, Bruce Brown has to decide whether he wants to come back. The money is going to make it problematic, but it is his choice. Uh, the pressure on this team next year, they're obviously, obviously the favorites in Vegas. Most of the players are going to be back. Uh, how immense will it be? And I know we're looking ahead uh, quite a ways, but now that you've won the first one, uh, things start to change, and they change forever. Uh, I think in Pat Riley's book, after he won his first championship, he said that after winning a championship, everybody in the organization thinks they did a great job, and they think they they were a part of why they won, and he basically was defining arrogance. Uh, because Jokic is on this team, I don't think it's going to be a problem, but I still think that every year in the NBA, no matter what you do the year before, is a different year. Next year is going to be different than this year. So I think they got to be ready for that. And and they're going to be the honey and not the honey. Uh, you know, they're going to be hunted by everybody. It's going to be the biggest game in town, 
and it's going to be important to the team to get a win against the NBA champs. And so it's going to be a little more fatiguing. And then the mental fatigue, I think we all know, uh, the, 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 the playing the June year in and year out can become very, very fatiguing. And um, I think we got to be ready. I, I, it's not going to be an easy journey. And I've always, I always loved what I loved about the NBA. What happened last year, and, you know, it's fun to reminisce. But when October comes around this year, you better be ready for a different story. He is Coach George Carl, Naismith Hall of Famer. You can follow him on Twitter at Coach Carl22, the host of Truth and Basketball, the podcast videos with Sandy Clough, a partnership between uh, My Life Sports and the coaches Truth Plus Media with podcasts on sports, leadership, and human performance. You can find them at truthplusmedia.com. It's an Apple, Spotify, Google, YouTube, you name it. You can get it. So go check out Truth and Basketball Now, plus everything that Coach and company are putting together at Truth Plus Media. Uh, congratulations, Coach. Uh, you were part of setting this culture as well. Enjoy it and truly appreciate your time today. Okay, guys, go celebrate. It's fantastic. It's been a great year for the Avalanche winning it a year ago, and now the Denver Nuggets won it in a very similar way by a, a really good team playing at the highest level. It's a congratulations to the fans, and ho- hopefully Denver will have a great summer being on top of the mountain of basketball. They are. The road now comes through Denver, and that road will be filled with a parade route on Thursday as well. Thanks to Danny Bailey for putting everything together, all that sound capturing last night. You can imagine how challenging that was going to be, plus putting together the podcast and everything going on. So a terrific job, as always, by Danny Bailey. Sandy, of course, uh, the man with the most experience in town. Nobody better to get the perspective. So thanks to all of you who interacted. Thanks to everyone listening on air, on on the website, mylifesports.com, watching it. On the website, that's right, you can watch it as well. We have studio cameras and everything. Or on the Free Mile High Sports app, clear, convenient, whatever you want it. And, of course, you can pick that up anywhere you get any of your apps. We'll be back tomorrow. We're going to hand things off to our friends at Afternoon Drive. Cody Rourke and Anilo Piro are up next. For Sandy Clough, I'm Sean Drotar. Happy Championship Week, Denver. The Nuggets rule the NBA roost. Keep it right here on Mile High Sports. Of the life, of the life we live in. I just want to live.